right, we are in the month of April, which means we're going to be in full-fledged draft talk. And joining me now, he is an NFL draft analyst for ESPN, and he's the founder of thedraftscout.com. It is the great Matt Miller. Matt, I know this month is crazy for you. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, man. I, I ran into you Mobile, got to meet you for the first time at the Senior Bowl, and and said, man, I want I want to come on your podcast. It's It's not very often I get to do that anymore, where I get to meet someone and say, like, hey, can I please come on your podcast? So I appreciate you making time for me. No, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I actually requested to have you on even before I ever got to PFF. And <laughs> really? So, yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's, no, but my point is like, I know you wanted to come on, but I've been trying to get you on for a while. So I'm really excited about this happening finally. But um, meeting you in person was definitely great there in Mobile. I mean, it, it's quite the event over there. It, it is for sure. But yeah, you're right. Like you said, a long time coming. A lot of mutual admiration here. Um, like I told you, you, you've been killing it. It's been awesome to see your success and the move to PFF and, and how well that's going. So um, before we get into draft stuff, I, I have to let you know again, um, it's been cool to see your rise in this industry. I appreciate that. So um, it's it's been a crazy ride indeed. And I've, of course, followed you a long time. But enough of the, the love talk over here. Let's jump right into <laughs> it with all the it, it's been a it, we just had a crazy trade. Let's start off with that. Let's start off the Saints and Eagles trade, which just happened the other day. I feel like everyone kind of understands this trade from the Eagles perspective. But when it comes to the Saints perspective, everyone is a bit like. I don't know exactly what they're trying to do. I have my theory on it, but I want to start off with you. What do you think the Saints are trying to do over here by adding an extra one this year and then giving up that package to the Eagles? Yeah, you know, my first thought when I when I got the, the Schefter Twitter notification was like, yeah. I just sat down to watch NFL Live and got that and was like, oh my God. And my first thought was, okay, they're going to try to, to parlay this into moving up to get a quarterback. That was my first thought. It reminded me of what the Eagles did the year they actually drafted Carson Wentz. I don't know if you remember that. They yeah. traded up with, like the I think, the Browns and got, got higher. And then they traded again to get to number two to get Wentz. So my first thought was, man, maybe they're trying to do that, trying to, like, step stone their way up to get a quarterback. Then, you know, like, the adrenaline wears off and you start to remember all the different things you've heard. And one thing I heard, and I actually wrote about this, uh, I believe, last week for ESPN, was that I've heard that the Saints were all in on offensive tackle, that they really, truly felt like, they were in position to win this year that like the NFC South is not very good. Even with Brady coming back, like Arians retiring, obviously opens the door there. So the front office there at least believes that this, they can win this year. So I, I put out a tweet and was like, you know, yeah, I like, it's, I was excited about quarterback as well, but it, it, it does seem more like this is a team that thinks they can get an offensive tackle and a wide receiver and be positioned to win this year, whether that's with Jameis or Andy Dalton or some combination of the two uh, with Jameis coming back from that injury. But that is where I, I sit right now with it. I know that the Saints are, are like a lot of teams. They look at next year's quarterback class and think it could be very good. And, you know, as part of this trade, obviously, you know, they they're they're almost it does feel like they're kind of pushing it to next year where it's like, OK, well, let's let's push that quarterback decision off until we have. Will Levis and CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and guys like that in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, and for the Saints, like you mentioned, I think that's kind of what they're trying to do. And again, maybe they do love a quarterback. Maybe we're wrong. But I think the Saints look at the NFC and realize how weak it's become. The roster yeah. still has a lot of talent, but there's a lot of high price talent. They need that young, cheap talent and maybe adding two studs in the first round to this great roster and making it around the NFC. And remember, they're 4-0 against the Bucs since Brady came in including that win last year on Sunday night, which Dennis Allen was the head coach. He's obviously yep. the new head coach now. So 
that that it kind of makes sense to me. But the other thing that people are saying is they try to jump the Chargers, which I don't really think that makes a lot of sense to me because I yep. get getting in front of them, but if the Chargers want to move up, they can move up as well. And right. they've shown that right. they could do that because they've done it with Telesco to move up for Melvin Gordon and move up for Kenneth Murray a couple of years ago. So do you believe there's any reality to that? Or it's more, let's just have two first round picks, whoever we get there, we're adding them to this roster and move on. I, I think you could look at their needs, the Chargers and Saints and say, hey, there's some similar needs here, a tackle, a wide receiver. So maybe you would, that's a team that is logically you want to get ahead of, but I'm with you. I think it's way too soon to make any kind of trade saying, oh my God, we got to get in front of the LA Chargers. Right. Because like you said, What's to stop them from moving up? And also, like, none of us knows who's going to be there. You know, I, I've run yeah. through exercises since that trade went down of who could be there, which offensive tackles could be there, which wide receivers could be there. And we can have, like, a degree of certainty, but it's not super strong because it's the NFL draft and anything can happen once the clock starts. So I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, when that news broke, a lot of folks were asked to instantly analyze it. And one of the first things you do is, okay, who do they get in front of? And getting in front of LA, okay, similar needs. But I, I think it'd be way too early to do that, to tip your hand that early, which I, I do think. A lot of people have said the timing of this trade, like 25 days or so before the NFL draft is kind of weird timing. Um, it is, to some degree, kind of weird timing. Um, if you look at it from the perspective of they were targeting a player instead of targeting positions like teams at this point have a pretty good feeling for if not, you know, who the number one pick will be, who the number seven pick will be. They have a pretty good feeling for ranges. Yeah. Uh, and so I think you can if you're the Saints, which this is a very plugged in front office, Mickey Loomis, Jeff Ireland, they probably have a good consensus on which players are likely to be there at 16 and are they with 16 and, and 18 at this point. Yeah. So uh, I think that's. I look at it that way of they, they feel pretty good about the group of players that should be there. Right. And the Eagles, I believe are at 15 and 19 with the two picks they have left. And the thing about the saints also is that they've always been a very aggressive team. Let's just add talent. We'll worry about the other stuff later. Look at the way they handle right. the cap every year where they're always, you know, millions and millions um, over the cap. They fix it up later and then they keep on moving forward. So it's like, let's just add two more players to this roster and keep on pushing forward even though Sean Payton is not here, we don't care. We want to keep on, you know, moving forward with this team and try to compete. Now, let me go up to the top of the draft and start at number one, really. The Jaguars this past offseason or this current offseason have spent a lot of money. This is a lot of money, the most guaranteed money in NFL history for a free agency. Doug Peterson's the new head coach, Trevor Lawrence into year two. A big decision at number one, people could say, help out the quarterback or there's a pretty good defensive lineman on the board, which direction do you feel like they should go in with the number one overall pick? I think as soon as they franchise Cam Robinson, it was like, okay, they're going to go defensive end. And so I, I would go Aiden Hutchinson. I think that's what they should do. I ultimately think that's what they will do. Not only did they, you know, franchise tag Cam Robinson last year, they drafted Walker Little in the second round. And people can say that, oh, Urban Meyer's gone. Urban Meyer wasn't running the draft board. Trent Baalke was. So there's still continuity in the front office. They also have Juwan Taylor, right tackle, who's only 25 yeah. years old. So they they have some pieces on the offensive line. They brought in Brandon Scherf from free agency. Like they plugged a lot of holes. And one thing that I do before the draft, and I actually just did it last week, is to look at rosters 
after, you know, kind of the first two waves of free agency and say, what did they add? What did they not add that we thought they would? And you can try to hopefully get some intel on where they'll go in the draft. And with the Jags, I mean, they added almost to every position group except for that D end. And I know they, they sent Arden Key, but last year in San Francisco, he rushed from the inside a lot. And so he's more of a rotational, situational pass rusher. So I, I do think it, it leaves the door open for someone opposite Josh Allen, who is, you know, his contract is also coming up. So I, I, I think it will be Aiden Hutchinson. I know, uh, you know, there's been some Trevon Walker talk. There's been some Iki Aquanu talk. That seemed to kind of die down around the combine. But I, I definitely think there's there's more options than we're used to normally. You know, if we were sitting here in early April. I could tell you who the first pick was going to be because everyone would know, right? Um, this year, there's at least a little bit more intrigue. Right. There is definitely intrigue. It does feel like more people are coming along and saying it's most likely going to be Aiden. And if it is, this is where it gets very interesting to me because everyone thought that he would fall to number two, you know, go to Detroit, stay at home. If he's not on the board there, that's where it becomes so interesting to me because Detroit is one of those rare teams where their offensive tackle situation is actually like perfectly fine. They have Decker, they have Sewell. So what would a team like Detroit do if Aiden is not there? Does quarterback by any chance become an option? There are people trying to throw out Malik Willis. What do you think Detroit does if Aiden is off the board? I think the Malik Willis talk is at least interesting, right? Um, there's It's one of those situations where there's too much smoke for there not to be a little bit of, of fire, I think. And it started as like a whisper. And now it's like I get emails about, you know, betting odds. Malik Willis is the favorite to be drafted number two overall with some betting sites. Those folks in Vegas know what they're talking about, right? So <laughs> I, I definitely think that between the intel that you hear from NFL sources, then you look at the betting odds. And, and it does make some sense. Now, I would be interested to see if they tried to trade back in that situation. Now, you can't go far because Carolina sitting there at six and obviously, you know, teams can, can, can still come up. But I think that would be something that would be interesting is, hey, do you, do you call the Houston Texans and say, you guys want to come up to two and get Trevon Walker or Iki Aquano or Evan Neal? We'll, we'll slide back to three or do you? try to get the Jets to come up to where you're not moving back super far, but you are gaining some draft capital. Uh, I think if you, if you sit tight and take Malik Willis at two, you know, it's going to be a situation like San Francisco where you, you traded up to take Trey Lance. Then we barely saw him. I like Malik a lot. He's the top quarterback in this class, in my opinion. I don't necessarily think he's ready to play week one. So it, it is going to be a situation where you're using a ton of, of high draft capital on a player. That's not going to really see the field this year. And that's, that is a, a, a tough situation. Like Dan Campbell, Brad Holmes, they got to make sure ownership's ready to be patient if they do go that route. So I, I, that's where I would try to trade back and, and make sure you're still adding in in this draft to a roster that's, I mean, they played their asses off last year. That is not a very good roster. So they, they need a lot of help. Yeah. And, you know, when they hired Brad Holmes and they hired Dan Campbell, it was a six year contract. Ownership was like, hey, you guys do it your way. We're going to be patient. And it felt like when they traded for golf, it was like a two year plan. But Mm -hmm. unless we love a quarterback here, so unless they love Malik, I have a hard time believing they're going to go quarterback, especially at number two. Then again, they also have two first round picks next year. And you would know better. But the quarterback class next year is far better than this year. Right. It looks that way. I I feel bad. And like people on Twitter get on all of us draft analysts because we're always like, hey, next year's quarterback class looks looks great. I want to remind you, we were not saying that a year ago. We, we knew that this year's class was not going to be very good. And it, you know, guys underperformed. Spencer Rattler didn't come out and had to transfer. Sam Howell underperformed. So we, even the guys who are in the conversation early, like a Malik Willis, you know, like Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, they weren't considered, Malik Willis was up there, but the other guys really weren't considered round one talents. So 
the early look for next year is that it is a lot better, uh, not just in terms of round one, but even, you know, rounds two and three, I think there'll be a lot better depth next year. Interesting. So when it comes to this quarterback class, let's stick to this year. You said Malik is your number one guy. How are you ranking this quarterback class? How many people do you think could actually go in that first round besides for Malik? Yeah, I'll spoiler alert for an article I have coming out on Friday oh. is that I think four quarterbacks could actually go in the first round. I'm not oh. saying they should, right? All That's right. the difference with this. It's like, would I draft four in the first round? Absolutely not. But I, I have them ranked Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett from Pitt at QB2. Then I have Matt Crawl from Ole Miss at three. Desmond Ritter at four, uh, Sam Howell uh, is at five, and then Carson Strong and Bailey Zappi are in there as well as guys who could all – all seven could be top 100 picks. But it is it is tough. I think we look at supply and demand. I really thought Carolina would figure out a better answer at quarterback through trades and free agency. You know, I, all the rumors were they're going to be super aggressive and David mm-hmm. Tepper is going to go all out for, for a quarterback and – and they didn't get one. And they actually only have two on roster right now, Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker. So yeah. it feels like Carolina will draft a quarterback. The Matt Rule-Kenny Pickett connection, everyone knows about it. Uh, he's also with 49 starts. You know, he is the best equipped to come in and play right away. So uh, I think the interesting one will be Desmond Ritter. You know, we talked about the Saints. If they don't want to wait till next year, could he go early first round? Which there's, there's starting to be a little momentum toward that. Of Man, Desmond Ritter might go a lot earlier than people think. Yeah, that's the thing about quarterbacks is it all it takes is one team to fall in love with you. And then there's the fifth year option element to it where you want to have that extra year where you end up taking him in the first round. And quarterbacks are always, I don't want to say reach that, but, you know, if you want him, you take him because you got to exactly. get that position is the most important one. So um, I would be surprised if there are four going in the first round. But if it happens, it's not the craziest thing considering the way NFL teams work and the way they think with that position is basically what you're trying to say with that article. Oh, without a doubt. And it's, again, it's not, not what I would do and the rankings won't reflect it. You know, uh, I only have uh, two in my top 32 Willis and Pickett. So, but like you said, supply and demand and the the fact that teams will reach. And I think the last two off seasons have really, you know, proved that point even is like teams feel like if they don't have the guy, they're going to move heaven and earth to try to get it. And whether that's trading for Matthew Stafford or trading for Sean Watson whatever it might be, or the Colts letting go of Carson Wentz after mm-hmm. trading a first and a second yeah. round pick for him. You know, like that, I think that we're, we're definitely seeing a trend in that direction. So whether that's Detroit at two or, you know, the Panthers at six, it, it definitely feels like teams are, are going to be pretty aggressive. And there are people in the league who believe like, if you don't have a quarterback, just t- keep on taking swings until you find one. Yeah. And if a team just does it in the first round, doesn't work, move on from and find the next guy. And we've, as you said, I mean, we've seen it happen. We just saw it of Carson Wentz. We saw it a few years ago of Josh Rosen. If you don't have the guy, right. find the next guy, keep on moving. Or even the Jets, you. right? Like Sam Darnold, you trade yeah. up to draft Sam Darnold, doesn't yeah. work. So you take Zach Wilson, right? It's Three years later, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think that it's it, you used to, you would get fired for that, right? Yeah. If you, if you missed, uh, but it, it, you know, in Arizona, you you do it and you get contract extensions. So <laughs> the game has changed. It really has. And until you have the quarterback, you're basically not a legitimate team around the NFL. And teams have realized that if you don't think you have one, go find it. And that's what a lot of these teams are doing. So the quarterback position isn't, I guess, as deep as it was last year. Obviously, it's not as super strong. Which positions in this draft are considered very deep and which other positions are not considered that deep here this year? Yeah, I feel like it's becoming a trend every year, but the receiver position is incredibly deep and deep in the fact that like we could see eight receivers go in the first round and that would be a record, but it's it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. In fact, 
a lot of the mock drafts I do, it's like, okay, I'm sitting here at the end of round one and every team needs a receiver. Like every team, it feels like from new England at 21 to Detroit at 32 could take a receiver. And there's going to be guys gone already. Like, you know, yeah. Drake London and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are going to be off the board by then. So we could definitely see a record number of receivers. I actually really like the safety class. We probably won't see a ton in the first round. Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, Dax Hill from Michigan. Uh, they might be the only ones that make the first round. But I think in, in the second round, we'll see a lot of guys like Jaquan Brisker, uh, who can be very, very good starters early in their career. Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Uh, Brian Cook from Cincinnati. So the safety class is good. Offensive tackle, I think a lot of people know we're going to see, you know, four to six of them probably go in the first round. So there's yeah. there's good depth there again, too. You know, you mentioned the, the receivers, and I want to go back there for a second, because as you said, it feels like every year it's stacked, it's loaded. And it's kind of, it, it's an interesting topic because I've spoken to a few people about this, and I want to hear your take on it. You know, unless you believe that receiver in the first round is special, like a Jefferson, like a Chase, would it be worth it to pass on that receiver in the first round and come back to get a receiver in the second, third, fourth round where we've seen in previous years where guys like a DK, AJ Brown, T Higgins, Michael Pittman, Amon Ross yeah. Brown last year, I think was a fourth round pick. Does that make sense to you? Maybe just pass on the receiver in the first round, unless you believe he's that special talent then come back to get one later because there are so many of them. The, I tend to subscribe to that theory and have for a long time because like I had Michael Thomas as my number one receiver. I had AJ Brown as my number one receiver, or it, I can show you how old I am. I had Alex <laughs> Jeffrey as my number one receiver back in the day. So yeah. it's like, I I've always kind of felt like, man, you can wait till the second round and get a good player. I think the only difference this year might be if we do see eight go in the first round, it, those are guys that normally would be second round picks where you could feel like Debo Samuel and AJ Brown slipped around two. And you're like, how the hell are these guys available this year? They would be late first round picks. I think because the need at the position, the arms race in the AFC has been amazing also to where it does feel like oh. Kansas city needs another receiver. Buffalo needs another receiver. You know, it's so many teams, new England needs a couple the Raiders, you know, could still add one. It just feels like so many teams need that receiver that uh, we're going to see so many go early that normally would be second round picks. So that is, like, if you ask me, hey, would you drive for a receiver in the first or second round? Like, all things credit equal, I'd much rather go second round. The hit rate is better at the position. But I think this year might be an interesting case study where it's a weak draft at quarterback. You know, it's there's not a lot of defensive tackles that are going to go early. Not a lot of corners are going to go early. I think we're going to see the receivers get bumped up this year. Interesting. There are a lot of talented receivers this year. I'm always curious to see where they go and how many teams actually believe that about not taking one in the first round, coming back around for it. And I, it hasn't really happened often. Last year, there were, I think it was five receivers in the first yep. round or somewhere in that area. So it still hasn't happened. My point is that there are still so many receivers available in those later rounds. Not everyone hits, but there are some that just boom like crazy. Like, oh, we, saw this, like we saw this past year with Amon Ross St. Brown in Detroit, a fourth round mm -hmm. pick. And it feels like you could always find those later in the draft and take a different premium position in the first round. Um, I want to ask you about a couple of teams in particular here. I'm here from New York. The Giants and Jets have been dreadful forever now. It's just not fun here in New York. Well, the people around me, they just hate these two teams. But they do have two top 10 picks in this year's draft. And it feels like for the first time in a long time, both these organizations at the same time have a good regime in place of the guys yeah. making the decisions there. What do you believe those two teams should be doing with those two top 10 picks that they have over there? Yeah, I think there's a ton of pressure on Joe Douglas with the Jets because this will be his third draft. And that first one is not looking great with no. uh, Mekhi Becton, 
Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis. Uh, Ashton might be the only starter from that draft this year. So uh, I do think there's a little more pressure on him to get it right with these two picks. So, you know, do they believe in Mekhi Becton? Or I, we're going to find out real quick if they do or not, yeah. because if they take a tackle at four, then we kind of have the answer there. Uh, but, they, you know, they also need a pass rusher opposite Carl Lawson. He'll be coming back from injury. They need a corner. Uh, they could use another safety. So I, I think the Jets are an interesting team where, you know, they, they have so many needs and, and wide receivers, obviously one of those two to where it'll be, I think from a draft philosophy standpoint, we can see how Joe Douglas feels. Everyone knows like former offensive lineman, the dude believes in building the trenches, but is this year, the year that you go against what we were just talking about? Do you draft a receiver in the first round after taking Mims and Elijah Moore in the second? Um, so I think that'll be fascinating to see how they build. And then with the giants, with Joe Shane and Brian Dable coming in, you know, they've said they believe in Daniel Jones for at least this year. I think they're one of the teams that's probably eyeing that 23 quarterback class. But, you know, they have to figure out their offensive tackle opposite Andrew Thomas, who, man, he played so well last year, such an maybe the most improved offensive lineman in the league last year, honestly. But, you know, they also have to figure out their defense. They they desperately need pass rushers. I think they were number 30 last year in, in uh, quarterback hit rate. So they definitely need to get after the quarterback and the Jets and Giants, I think it's weird because not only do they both have top 10, two top 10 picks, they have a lot of similar needs. So if you're a Giants fan, you're kind of looking at the Jets to see, okay, what do they do it for? Because that could dictate what you do at five and seven. And then if you're a Jets fan sitting at 10, it's like, you got to be careful who you pass on because the Giants could take your guy at either of those spots. Um, I think it'll be fascinating with, with the New York Giants when Dave Gettleman was there everyone knew who their pick was going to be. Daniel Jones was a little bit of a surprise. I was actually, I was at Bleacher Report then. And I remember we had a thing and a, a Giants beat writer came up to me and was like, Hey, it's, it's not going to be Dwayne Haskins. It's going to be Daniel Jones. And I didn't believe him. And so I was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't know, man. I can't see Daniel Jones going that early. Right. It, it feels off, but like people tend to always know their picks when Gettleman was there. So this would be the first time maybe that the Giants come on the clock and there'll be actual mystery as to who they're going to take. It's interesting because you remind me of that draft, but Gettleman actually like tipped his hand the day of the draft. I don't know if you remember this, but he was doing an NFL network interview and they asked him about Daniel Jones and he kind of gave a smirk. And I remember that. And I was like, oh, it's going yeah. to be him ended up being him. It surprised everybody, but I was like ready for it here in New York though. It did not go over the greatest. And no. speaking <laughs> of Daniel, speaking of Daniel, they do have to decide on his fifth year option um, the Monday after the draft. And that is um, 22 million fully guaranteed a big question there on him. You mentioned both these teams need pass rushers, and that's definitely true. I want to ask you about one in particular, and that's Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. There are, I guess, just help me understand the whole argument that he could slip. I've heard a lot of it, but where did this come from and how legitimate is it in your opinion? Yeah, I think it comes from a lot of different directions. Um, and it's one of those situations where you have to be careful to remind people that you're passing along information that's not your opinion, right? So I still have him as the top 10 player. I still think he could be the number two pick. But you definitely hear talking to people who have been through Oregon scouting him or people who have you know, interacted with him during interviews that he's maybe not presenting himself in the best light. Like he's very focused on his his brand and his off-field life, not as much of his on-field. And I think what's hurting him is last year, especially after he got hurt, it did it did seem at times like he was kind of coasting, which I don't think is that uncommon for pass rushers. I remember hearing it about Chase Young. I remember hearing it about Miles Garrett. It's like mm -hmm. these guys are not going to go full-blow 80 to 85 plays a game. So I think with Thibodeau, one thing that's not helping his stock right now is that he's maybe not interviewing that well, you know, in terms of his love of the game and things like that. And then when you watch the tape, you see a guy that – flashes just brilliance at times but then we'll go through stretches where he's 
you know, kind of average and, and, and really not, you know, turning the, the jets on as much as you want them to. So I think, you know, teams just have to, to buy in and believe that, okay, if we draft this player in the top 10, that not only do you have the, oh my gosh, we wasted a draft pick, but if you miss on a top 10 pick, yeah. you know, you could have that you and your coaches and your scouts are all getting fired. So it's not just, oh man, it's going to be embarrassing. And, and all these guys are going to make fun of us on Twitter. It's no, we're going to lose our jobs. And all these people that we brought here with us are going to lose their jobs. So I think sometimes we forget the pressure of these top 10 or first round picks. And, and so when you do have an interview or a workout that, that doesn't go well and, and kind of your, your instincts are telling you that maybe this, this guy isn't bought in, there's, there's a lot that is, that is being weighed and, and is at risk with that. So I think with Thibodeau, that's, that's kind of the long winded answer of what's impacting his stock right now is the people I've spoken with that have interacted with him have just said like, you know, they don't feel like he's bought in. And so they're having a hard time buying in on him, despite the fact that, you know, his athletic measurables are, are crazy good. And, and the yeah. flashes on tape the last three years have been really, really good. So, you know, it's you're you could get Von Miller out of him or you could get, you know, a guy that's that's quickly out of the league. That's the thing about it. There is this element when you're picking that high of I'd rather go the safe direction over Absolutely. the blue or bust. And that's yeah. where it comes in with him. And I've heard that as well. But then again, like you said, he could end up being Von Miller. And then you'll be looking back at it like, shoots, why did I do that? But Absolutely. he's Thibodeau is one of two players in the top portion of the draft that I just don't really know where I'll end up going. Like he could, he could go super high or he could end up slipping. The other one for me is Derek Stingley from LSU, who yeah. was just awesome his freshman year at LSU. And then these past two years, he's played a total of 10 games, had the injuries coming off a list Frank thing. And he also has that thing where it's like, they don't know, I don't know how to say, they don't know how committed he was in that final year is going straight to the draft. Where do you sit on him? Where where do you believe this guy could go in this draft? You know, I mentioned it earlier, when you talk to teams, you talk about ranges, like, hey, this player could go in this range. And I feel like Stingley's range is like four to 15. Like, really, it's it's a big range for him. Um, I, I think he will be an interesting study in teams buying into that 2019 true freshman year where he was amazing. And, and it kind of ignoring like, okay, well, the LSU program was kind of in shambles with Ed yeah. Orgeron and everything that happened in, in 2021, 2020 was that COVID year where they didn't play very many games. And I, I think with Stingley and Thibodeau, you kind of get the, the sense that some people are, are almost making the excuse of, well, they made business decisions. They've been told for the last three years, they were going to be top five picks and they, they got hurt and they understandably kind of shut it down or coasted a little bit. But the detractors will say it's really hard to draft a player in the top 10 when he has barely played in the last two years and has not recorded an interception in the last two years and yeah. has multiple injuries. So I think Stingley will be very fascinating. I could see the Vikings taking him at 12 if he's there. Uh, but again, we, I could see the Jets taking him at four and saying, hey, we, we're going to coach him up and Robert Sala is going to you know, get him motivated and we're going to make sure he's, he's checked in. And if checked in, he, he would be the best corner in this draft if he played like he did in 2019. Hell, he might be the first pick in this draft. If, if the last two years looks like 2019, like he, he would be you know, the next Deion Sanders. But unfortunately, he didn't play up to that level. Right. So when it comes to, I guess, Stingley on most people's boards is number two. 
is sauce number one. And I guess like he really has the most fan buzz around him. Like it was just yeah. hilarious to me. Like earlier this week, he just randomly tweets. I'm the best player in this draft. <laughs> just all of a sudden right. it's like, it's hard not to love this guy, but I guess just expand a little bit about him and what makes him so great and why he is the top corner in this draft. Yeah. That's the confidence you want in a corner for sure. I think, you know, the measurables to be six, three uh, to, to be 200 pounds and to move the way he does, not just, 40 yard dash time, but to move. And we saw it on tape. We saw it in workouts. Like he's silky smooth with his footwork. He's able to mirror and match guys. The size and the length allows him to take away routes. Even when he's not, you know, right there in phase, he has that length to where he's able to cover guys a little bit, you know, longer than, than smaller corners. Uh, I love the fact that he never gave up a touchdown at college. I think that speaks to his competitiveness and his, his coverage ability. And it's not like, you know, teams completely went away from him because Kobe Bryant on the other side is a pretty good player as well. So I I think it's a lot of it. It's, you know, he's been battle tested. He held his own, you know, against teams like Alabama. uh, And then he does have the athletic measurables that are, you know, what everyone wants at the position to be, to be six, three and excel in man coverage the way he does should make him pretty exciting again for the jets, the giants. I can't, I can't imagine him getting past the jets at 10 if he's there. All right. He's definitely one of Again, so much fan buzz around them, and his nickname is Sauce. I mean, just just based off nickname. that, right. just based off that. I mean, it feels like you got to take him. I mean, like the, the, the amount of jersey sales you could do just based off this guy. I mean, you can't put, <laughs> you can't put Sauce on the back, but it would be pretty epic if you could. Uh, I have two more players here I want to run by before we wrap this up. Um, first of all, Kyle Hamilton, again, another player who I believe could go as high as three to the Texans, but all of a sudden there's a lot of this talk about forty time and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Where do you believe? First of all. I didn't really get down to it. Was the 40 time legit? Was it not? I don't know where exactly that all came from. Then where do you sit on him when it comes to this draft class? Yeah, I think a false number got put out. I don't know. I don't think it was the agent, but I somehow a wrong number got out from the pro day and the buzz really started on like a Friday. And I even remember getting a text. It's like, Hey, that Kyle Hamilton number is not right. He ran a low four, seven at the pro day. And I think I was like about to pick my son up and was like, I'm not, you know, someone else can have this one. I'm not fighting this fight on the internet today. But then by Monday, a lot of people were asking like, Hey, what's the deal with Kyle Hamilton? And so, you know, there's definitely a lot of conversation around the league that the 40 time was bad. There's no way around that, but it's more so positional value. And I think it's the marriage of the two, right? So if he had run a four, four, you'd be like, Oh, well, positional value is not great. He's probably going somewhere, you know, five to 10, but I think the poor 40 time, and the position of value is why we're here, starting to hear probably goes outside the top 10, maybe even closer to, you know, 15 to 20. But I think if you just watch him play, like he's one of the best football players in this class, he might be the best football player in the class. I think his play speed's a lot better. I think, you know, I talked to an NFL safety about him. Had him we were both watching the film and, and talked about it after. And he's like, that is, that's how you play the position. And a guy with his size and ability to cover it makes him incredibly rare. And I agree with that. I, I think, you know, to be 6'4", 220 and, and match up all over the secondary, no matter who you're asked to cover, to be able to hit and play with leverage, like they're, they're very rare traits. So if he slips, you know, I, someone's getting a hell of a player. Uh, I do think it'll be, again, not to overuse this word, but it'll be interesting to see like when someone does bite, you know, if you're the Washington commanders, you kind of need to hit in the first yeah. round. You need that safe pick like we were talking about. Kyle Hamilton's about as safe as you can get. And, you know, uh, there's been talk about having him play linebacker. No, to me, you just have him come in and play safety day one and, and let him do what he's been doing at Notre Dame. 
Interesting. Again, he's another one of those guys from the defensive side where I'm just really not sure where he ends up going. Again, there is still 20 plus days until the draft, but there are so many question marks with those three guys we mentioned. The last one that I have over here is another question mark defensive player, but for a different reason. And that is David Ajabo, the Michigan pass rusher who tore his Achilles. Based off that happening, is he out of the first round in your opinion? I don't think so. I think there's still a chance that he goes late first. Um, it's not a very deep edge rusher year. Like we're talking about Aiden Hudson probably goes one. Trevon Walker probably goes top three. Jermaine Johnson has a chance to go top 10, if not top 12. And so after that, though, it's, you know, there is a bit of a drop off with George Karloftis from Purdue being in the mix, too. But I still think a team could take Ojabo late first, especially if you're a team like Green Bay or Kansas City back there that has multiple first where you can still get your round one impact type player. But then you get Ojabo and has, you know, a chance to make it back for a postseason run. We saw Cam Akers, the running back for the Rams, come back six months after a clean Achilles tear. So I think with Ojabo. The, you know, medicals in the next 20 days are going to be really important to see kind of where he's at and, and how, how clean that, that injury was and, and how the surgery looked. But I do think there's still a chance that he goes late first. Interesting. Another fascinating thing to keep an eye on as the draft gets close. But uh, Matt, this was amazing. A lot of great insight for me. I want to thank you for taking the time. Everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at NFL Draft Scout and they can catch you on ESPN throughout the month leading up to the draft. Matt, again, this was amazing. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.